Hello from Boise, Idaho and Idaho Education News. This is Extra Credit, your weekly podcast looking at education policy and education politics. I'm Kevin Richard. And I'm Clark Corbin. And look, we get it. Most of you are probably listening to this while you're heading to parts unknown. You're heading out for the long Memorial Day weekend and the start of summer. And if you're on that kind of a road trip, you're, you're probably at that point at some stage where it's like, well, now what do we talk about? And it's kind of that way in the podcast world here, because for the past few weeks, uh, our conversation has been pretty much driven by that election that you may recall. But now we don't have elections to talk about, which is kind of a good thing. Yeah. But we have other things to talk about. It's uh, still been a, a newsy week around here. And I want you to start, Clark, by kind of getting us caught up on another story that broke towards the end of last week in the midst of all of the election swirl in the midst of all of the analysis that we were trying to do about what happened on Tuesday, the State Board of Education slammed the brakes on a huge hiring process uh, looking for a new Boise State uh, president. They did not hire a president last week. Uh, they started over. You have a little bit more detail about what happens now and, and how we got here and how much it cost to get here. So get us caught up here. Yeah. Thank goodness the primary election is behind us because I didn't really get to pay as much of attention to the Boise State story as I would have liked to last week. But the good news was I got to focus on it this week, uh, talk to a State Board of Education member, talk to their communications and legislative affairs director, and really got a sense of where we've been and, and, and where we're going. And I, I, one really interesting thing that I found out is we're basically talking about a $100,000 search uh, that they wow. are now walking away from. And that breaks down on a couple of different levels. Uh, the state of Idaho, the State Board of Education, paid a national search firm called AGB $86,000 uh, for the presidential search for Boise State University. I did clarify that was just for the Boise State search. The mm. same firm handled the other searches at ISU and Lewis Clark State College. Which were successful searches in which the were successful. had those positions filled. But when we're talking about dollars here, I'm just talking about related specifically to the Boise State search. So that was $86,000 for their search firm, plus up to $13,000 in consultants' fees. On top of that, there was also travel and lodging that Boise State paid uh, to facilitate those on-campus forums and the visits from the candidates. So we are talking about $100,000 approximately search, maybe a little bit more. And, and, and to be fair, to maybe put that number into some sort of context, because I think it is reasonable to do that, we are talking about hiring the president for the largest university in the state, and that that that's that that is probably going to be somewhere around a four hundred thousand dollar a year job if the new president is paid roughly what uh, retiring Bob Cusper was making. So, while a hundred thousand dollars is quite a bit of money in the context of the the magnitude of this hire, uh, it's it's not that much money. It's maybe about three months worth of salary. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I, I just wanted to let people know where we had been and what happened and sort of where we're going. And if you're brand new to the podcast or we're out of town last week, obviously you talked about it in the intro, uh, but Boise State President Bob Custer is retiring at the end of June. Uh, last week I went to the State Board of Education meeting expecting them to name a new president to succeed him. They did not do that. Instead, they said, uh, we are going to abandon this search and start a new search with a new 
search firm in the fall. Uh, in the meantime, President Custer is still retiring at the end of he, June. He's not pulling a breath part. He's retiring, right. and an interim president's going to be named, right? Yeah, I talked to State Board of Education Vice President Debbie Critchfield uh, earlier this week, middle part of this week, and she took more of a lead role on the Lewis Clark State College search, but she's obviously a board member, and she obviously cast a vote um, like everyone else to disband this current search. She said that it's her priority to name a new interim president as soon as possible. Mm -hmm. And we may see the state board get together or at least conference as early as next week. Uh, They have five, six weeks at this point uh, left with President Custer on campus, and it is a priority for them to name that interim as soon as possible. And have some kind of transition between the interim president and the outgoing president, I'm sure is part of the idea. Yeah, when I talked with Debbie, um, she said that... um, yeah, that that's important to her. But it also gives the board and the university some options because they can start a full-fledged presidential search over again in the fall and have the benefit of having the whole fall semester, essentially the whole school year, to look at this uh, and then come back and start the process over again. There was a little bit of a sense, perhaps, uh, that with the timing of President Custer's retirement announcement, I believe that was in November of 2017, that maybe some of those presidential searches... And candidates had already been underway in other universities and other parts of the country. And so maybe they were behind just a little bit. It was also the third search that the state board uh, was conducting in Idaho uh, this year. Uh, Like we talked about, Lewis Clark State College, Idaho State University, those were successful. Um, So there was a lot going on. Um, But when I spoke with Mike Keckler, uh, the spokesperson for the state board of Education, He said, in terms of an interim president, the board is looking for a leader who will maintain Boise State's current momentum, have the trust of the students, faculty, and staff, and help facilitate the transition for the next president once that individual is named. And I think that individual could be named perhaps early in 2019. Mm -hmm. Um, So it looks like they are looking perhaps for someone. They haven't said specifically an internal candidate. Um, but if we talk about maintaining momentum and, and earning the trust of the faculty and students, that may well be, just speculating here, that well, may well be an internal candidate. It would be kind of hard to imagine somebody coming from someplace else to take an interim president's job. Uh, unless that interim president were somehow allowed to apply for the job permanently. Right. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And if you really are trying to kind of ease the transition you would probably look internally, I would imagine. But, uh, you know, this has been kind of a surprising search process, so we'll watch and see what happens with the next chapter. Yeah, but I did, like I said, I did reach out to some folks on the state board, and we had some questions from readers, but it's not the case. I I, I know that college graduation has already happened and it already is summer break, um, but it's not the case that everybody went home for the summer and forgot about Boise State and its presidential search. Uh, that's not the case. Uh, it is, uh, they have described it to me as a top priority. Uh, I do expect that the board will get together in the coming days or weeks to at least begin uh, laying parameters down for an interim president. Uh, and, and this may come together fairly quickly. So it's not something that they forgot about. It's not something that's on the back burner. It's, it's not going to be put off until next fall. I don't think there will be a lapse between when President Custer leaves campus 
and an interim comes forward. I don't think that there will be a vacancy or a lapse or or nobody at the in charge on a day-to-day basis. I, I did get the sense that this is right. a priority, even though it was maybe a little bit of a surprise for some people. But I also get the sense that people are kind of coming around saying, okay, if we didn't have the exact right candidate in the first search, maybe it makes sense not to force it, but to to really look at this thing and make sure we're happy with who we have. There, there never did seem to be a whole lot of uh, sentiment in the community or sentiment that I can pick up off of social media channels that, wow, we've got to get this person in place right, right away. There, there didn't seem to be a lot of enthusiasm about the field of finalists that, that surfaced in April. And you know, there's, there, were, there were folks you know, pretty actively, pretty publicly saying, you know, you know, maybe maybe we should take another look at this. So, yeah, and I don't know how much that sort of you know external pressure plays into the state board's decision. But you know, really, when you boil down to it, no matter what the state board said, they got to a point where they looked at finalists and they didn't feel like they had the right fit. Yeah, and I mean, I think there is something to be said for rather than just, hey, we paid the money. This is the deadline we set. We're not. Sure, we have the right candidate here, but rather than just forcing it, I think that there probably is something to be said from, let's take a step back, let's see if we can do this over, maybe change some things up a little bit, look at a little bit of a different time frame. Maybe that will give us some additional options uh, going forward. So I don't get the sense that people are panicking by any means. It's a hire that's going to uh, guide the state's largest university for who knows how long. I mean, we've seen university presidents come and go within a few years, but Bob Custer was president at BSU for 16 years. That's a long tenure for a university president. That's an uncommonly long tenure. But the point is, you're going to make a hire here that BSU is going to have to live with for years. The state is going to have to live with. The state board is going to have to live with. You do want to get this right. So I definitely kind of understand the, you know, the sentiment behind taking a step back and, and continuing the search. I, I can kind of get where uh, where the state board's coming from here. Yeah, stay tuned. Uh, we'll be following this. I'll be following this. We may have a follow-up report of some kind next week. So stay tuned. Um, as for the full-fledged presidential search, because of the bidding process and the procurement process, I do not expect the full-fledged permanent search to really take off until the fall. Uh, but expect the interim search to perhaps come together quickly. But stay tuned. We may have more news on that next week. But I want to stay on the topic of higher education. Kevin, this week you did a couple of different articles looking at higher education and college affordability. Uh, You looked at some numbers and some comparisons, but we got a sense really of, of more recent numbers where Idaho stands, how its students and graduates are doing, especially compared uh, to other states and other regions. What what numbers were you looking at and what did you find? So I'm going to un- unwrap it because there were two stories that uh, we posted this week looking at aspects of the same issue. The first was a report that came out from the Pell Institute last week, and it was one that I saw last week in the post-election right. crush when I was also at, uh, at Los Angeles for the Education Writers Association conference. And it was a study I wanted to look at more closely, and I wrote a story that we published on Tuesday. Not a lot of big surprises in the numbers, but it puts things together in in a perspective that I think is important. As far as four-year tuition for an in-state student, 
Idaho's tuition, room and board, fees, you, you put the whole thing together, the average cost for a student to stay in state is third lowest in the nation. That's great news. That, well, that's the part that's good news. Right. I mean, only Utah and Wyoming offer in-state students a better deal. But what you're also seeing is, you know, we're not seeing this translate in terms of you know, enrollment rates. You know, you're still seeing fairly low enrollment rates when you think of the percentage of the population that is continuing their education and, and, and going to college. Idaho remains below the national average in that metric, and that, that's in spite of this big push that you're seeing at the state level to try to get more students to continue their education after high school, whether that's college or career technical. In terms of the college numbers, we're just not seeing uh, a big, we're not seeing the enrollment rates follow this uh, low tuition cost. And one of the things that we're also seeing is you're seeing student debt definitely is a factor in all of this. So the average student who leaves an Idaho college uh, with a four-year degree also leaves with, on average, about $27,000 in debt. Now, that's a lot of money, especially to a 22-year-old, 23-year-old. It's not that high compared to some of the average debts you see in other states. But what is interesting and what jumped out at me when I looked at the Pell Institute report is that the about two-thirds of Idaho graduates leave college with some level of debt. It right. might not be 27000 It might be more in some cases. It, yeah. might be a lot, it might be less. It might be considerably less. But two-thirds of students are leaving college with some level of debt. And that ranks Idaho in the top 10 of percentage of students graduating with debt. And that's that probably, surprised that's me not, the most. And that's not a top 10 you want to be in. I did not know that. That surprised me probably that, the most. That did surprise me quite a bit. And... You know, when we think about, you know, impediments, potential impediments to students going to college, the idea of going into debt, we've heard this anecdotally, that is a deterrent to, to a lot of students and a lot of parents. The idea of, of borrowing to go to college to get a degree, that can, can frighten off some potential students. And, you know, so even with the low tuition rates, you've got this uh, fairly high percentage of students in debt and, you know... It's hard to triangulate and figure out what exactly is going on here, but you know, you know, obviously, while our tuition is lower, our per capita income, our median income right. is lower than the national average. So, so that may all sort of tie into it together. So, anyway, we've got a link to this study. It's about a 152-page report. There are some <laughs> light reading over your Memorial yeah, there, Day, there, and there are some really kind of mind-bending graphics that you know have a lot of different. It's you know the spaghetti kind of pie, you know, spaghetti kind of charts with a lot of different threads and, and very uh, detailed tables, but a lot of interesting stuff there. I try to break it down into a story. The second story that we did, and we didn't do very much of this, but our partners uh, with the Heckinger Report did this, uh, did this, uh, did the body of the research and we uh, localized it a little bit. We looked at Idaho. What Heckinger looked at is and they quantified this for every state, how many students are eligible to get college scholarships, you know, based on need, need-based scholarships, but don't get a share of the money. And what they found, and this is a shocking figure, is that we're talking about close to a million students across the country who could have gotten a scholarship, who were eligible to get a college scholarship to offset the cost 
uh, of continuing their education could not get money because the states were out of money. They did, you know, their scholarships were not fully funded. We've heard that before in we, Idaho. And we've, we've heard, heard that this be, legislative and we've session. heard that before in Idaho, and that was what I did this week was look at the Idaho numbers. And what Hackenshire found, and I was able to kind of pin it down a little bit further because the numbers are right, and they're, they're, and they're sort of compelling, is that they found that there were close to 600 students in Idaho who were eligible for a scholarship, a share of the Idaho Opportunity yep. Scholarship, but didn't get money and were placed on a wait list because, again, there just wasn't enough money to go around. Now, and we've written about this before, both of us, uh, the state is putting more money into the scholarship program. Uh, they've increased the funding from, it was only about $5 million a few years ago. It's going to be up to $13.5 million going into this next school year. But it sort of remains to be seen, is that enough money to completely eliminate the wait list? Because it broadens the eligibility pool. This gets complicated, but we talked about that before. Right. I mean, there's more money going to scholarships, but there's also more money going into a new scholarship just for adult students. Yep. So there may there will be a little bit more money for your 18 to 22-year-old uh, students who are just starting to go into the into college but will there be enough to where every student who is eligible for, for this kind of a scholarship gets a share of the money? That remains to be seen. You know, I mean, I guess the good news here, relatively speaking, is that some states, the numbers are even worse. You know, there yeah. are some states where over half of the students who are eligible for a scholarship came away empty-handed because there was so much demand and so little money at, at the state level. So the Idaho numbers are... You know, there's obviously room for improvement. I mean, 600 kids, that's uh, that's a pretty sizable portion of kids. And you go back to, well, what do they do? Do they go to college at all? Do they skip the idea? Or do they go into debt to, you know, to tie yeah. back into what we were just talking about? I don't know. But that when we're talking about that many students who uh, are looking for help and not getting help, that's uh, got to be a cause for concern. Yeah, and these were two great stories. As you said, you can head over to the homepage, idahoednews.org, and look for both of those stories. But these closely relate to, these touch on a project that is going to become a big part of your life. The summer for us, school is out. We focus on kind of two things, policy implementation, but also bigger projects. You have a bigger project relating to higher ed. And it does sort of touch on what you reported on this week, right? Right. So last week I spent a lot of my time at EWA at the National Seminar going to uh, panel discussions about college, about college affordability, about how loans work and how student debt works, uh, how schools are trying to get more students from at-risk uh, communities to, to go to college and continue their education. We'll have more about that on, on my blog and, and we'll have more stories about that. But that is a project that I'm working on with uh, support from EWA, looking at what happens after high school in Idaho, especially in rural Idaho. I did a series last year. I want to build on it and look specifically at what's happening in rural communities with, with rural students, with uh, maybe at-risk uh, populations such as uh, or Latino and Native American populations, uh, look at maybe uh, the poverty, uh, how poverty affects decisions about uh, continuing your education after high school. So that's a big project that we get to launch into now with the summer. Last week was really just sort of a, a crash course for me a little bit uh, to, to get a little bit more of a sense of how the college affordability issue 
works and what some of the national thought leaders have to say about it. So big project. I'm looking forward to uh, getting getting into it, diving into it this summer as we have a little bit of a, an election lull. Yeah, absolutely. It's an important project. Um, it, it's something that affects families. It's something that affects young people. But it also ties into what is probably the most prominent education goal in the state. We always talk about it. That's the 60% goal. That is a education that is a goal to have 60% of the state's young adults hold some sort of post-secondary education. A college degree would count towards that. A technical certificate would count towards that. The goal is 60%. We're nowhere near it as a state, bumping down around 42% where it's been for years. Um, and it's really been a riddle uh, for policymakers and educators, so much so that they pushed the deadline yeah. for reaching that goal back five years. That's not new. We talked about that all last year. But it does relate to so much. Uh, and so it's an important area for you to look at. Um, and, and we get more information, uh, you know, that kind of explains where we're at, maybe what some of these barriers are. And so I'm looking forward um, to seeing sort of the fruits of your labor um, this summer and learning more about the higher ed uh, issue and the barriers to education and the cost and affordability uh, and assistance and all these different things that sort of come together in this very complicated uh, issue. And we'll take little slices at it as we go here, and it kind of leads into what what you can look for next week at Idaho Ed News. Uh, we're going to have quite a bit of stuff uh, because even though we're heading into summer, even though it'll be June next week, still a lot of stuff going on. I'm hoping to break a story about advanced opportunities, something we've talked about a lot. Uh, and, and try to look at who who is taking advantage of the Advanced Opportunities Program around the state, yep. what's happening in terms of urban districts as opposed to rural districts, uh, what kind of enrollment are we seeing in these college-level classes. Look for that story next week. You're going to be keeping an eye on the BSU survey. You've got an interview uh, that you did this week and a story that you're going to do next week about the new uh, deputy superintendent in, in Cherry Abara's shop. Yep. On Tuesday of next week, right after the Memorial Day holiday, I will introduce you to the new chief deputy uh, and superintendent Ybarra's State Department of Education. I'll introduce you to that person, uh, talk about that person's interest in rural education and mastery-based education, two very important topics for Superintendent Ybarra. So in that regard, it is no surprise uh, that this is the person she has picked to be her number two deputy I'll introduce you to that person, um, talk to you about his goals and what to expect. Look for that story on Tuesday. Right, and that's Peter McPherson, who is most recently the superintendent in the Chalice School District, Correct. who you got to know a couple of years ago when we did a project on the four-day schools. Yep, and went out there, talked to him about the uh, four-day schedule and, and Chalice. That was part of a larger project that you kind of took the lead on. So uh, Peter was someone that I've known for a couple of years. I always kind of bump into him at education conferences over the summer, and so we've uh, kept in touch a little bit. I enjoyed the conversation with him last week, and I'm excited to uh, to write the article letting people know a little bit about uh, who he is and the role that he expects to take at the SDE. That is a very important position. Uh, the outgoing chief deputy, chief deputy is Pete Kohler, uh, who was a, a very important, strong player uh, within the State Department of Education, somebody that educators and administrators all throughout the state have come to know. It's a highly visible role. It involves a lot of policy setting, a lot of day-to-day -day operation stuff at the State Department. And, and yep. so don't overlook the importance no, it, of this a, hire. It's a big job. I mean, you saw Pete Kohler at a lot of state house hearings, a lot of legislative hearings, uh, a lot of uh, 
you know, state board meetings, uh, the funding formula committee, he, he's sat in on a lot of that. So I would expect uh, McPherson will be as uh, as public, as prominent a figure in education circles. I, yeah, I would too. I think that gets to uh, everything that I wanted to talk about this week. Our Devin Bodkin, our Eastern Idaho reporter, uh, had a piece earlier this week about the biggest election upset probably uh, from the primaries, and that was uh, Julianne Young from the Blackfoot area defeating House Education Chair Julie Van Orden. There's a profile uh, of Julianne Young. She does not have an opponent coming up in November, so it looks like she's all but set uh, to take a seat in the Idaho legislature starting with the 2019 session. If you want to learn a little bit more about her and her background, her approach to education, uh, that's in there. And, and that does not, by beating Chairwoman Van Orden, Julianne Young does not become the new House Education Chair. I want to make that perfectly clear. Uh, but education was a big part of that race. Right. And, and, and it sets up, as we talked about in the podcast last week, a scramble for that chair, yes. the education chair position, as well as several other important uh, legislative chairs, uh, both in the House and the Senate. So something we'll be uh, trying to parse out this summer. And Maybe even really some leadership after, challenges really election, in December. You know, um, this plays out between now and December. Yep. So... Anyway, if you want to get a better sense of who Julianne Young is and what her plans are in the legislature, uh, Devin has that story, and we have that at idomaknews.org. All right. Thanks so much uh, for joining us this week. As always, we have a lot of fun on the Extra Credit Podcast. I want to thank everybody for checking us out and for visiting our homepage, www.idahoednews.org. Thanks so much as always. I'm Clark. I'm Kevin. Have a good week.